Relevant to our interests is sponsored by Ominous Black Fluids. They probably aren't shit. Hey there, welcome. This is Frank, and with me as always is... Jesus Martinez. Hi, Jesus Martinez, and this is Relevant to Our Interests, the frequent podcast that talks about stuff that interests us. Yes, and things. And, and things. And, and, uh, and this I'm week, feeling uh, bad about the joke that you just made, but kind of rolling with it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And this is uh this this week we're talking about the uh, film Mad God by Phil Tippett. But before that, we're going to oh. do a little catching up. Oh, uh, and John, what do you want to talk about? Um, I'm making you go first. Yeah, I, I noticed. Uh, my brother he is uh, fantastic, and he got me the Galvatron and Rodimus Prime from uh the original Transformers movie. As little, uh, as little, uh, the, the, what are they? The little, little bastards that these are the bastards. I'm showing Frank because I can't remember the name of them. The, uh, they're not the Constructica. Oh, what are they? I don't know what they are. Yeah. The, the, no, the, the, the type of thing. What is it? The, the, is, is it a, uh, <laughs> what the hell? I can't think now. The, the uh, the big head things. I'm yeah. gonna have to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to cut this. <laughs> uh, what are they called? Uh, um, <laughs> you think? You think we were both eighty-year-olds trying to make a podcast? Well, I mean, <laughs> I have. I mean, I have like a hole in my liver and toxins in my brain, and basically, what I'm saying is, I have a reason to be like this, Frank. What's yours? <laughs> I don't know. Um. um uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. You know what? I'm just going to the big headed shit. Well, well, that, that, uh, that, that search result was exactly what I expected it would be. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's about poop, isn't it? <laughs> Mostly. There's a picture of a, of a dude wearing a, a mask that's a poop emoji. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, uh, uh, big poop head. Well, everybody, ha- everybody has a dozen <laughs> of them, but everybody hates them, but also loves them. Um, I know what you're saying. Uh, pop. There yeah, Funko Pops. Funko Pops. Funko Pops. Funko Pops. Funko Pops. I, I gave up at first. Okay. We're going to cut all of that out, except for your brother gave you what? The Funko Pops, huh? That's yeah, cool. Yeah, he gave me a Funko Pops. <laughs> he had like some some weird deal there, but he gave me a, it's a, the, it's a variant of Galvatron from uh, Galvatron and Rodimus Prime from the original Transformers movie, which that's, that's is a lot of fun. pretty cool. You know what? You know, fun fact, I don't actually own any Funko Pops. That's fair. That means I need to buy you one just to affect you. <laughs> Probably. I do own a couple of, uh, I own several Star Wars mugs, though, including a Chewbacca one, like mugs. Yeah. Including a Chewbacca one, a uh, Darth Maul, mm-hmm. a Yoda, and now a baby Yoda. I got it for Christmas. So I have the, the four, those four mugs. And I own some Beanie Babies, including 
A VV beanie baby. A what? VV. VV. Oh yeah, the VV baby. Yeah. Yeah. You know from. Yeah, the one that my... I keep wanting to steal. Yeah, but you're not going to. Yeah, because you're far away and I'm lazy. Yeah, it's not even that you're going to stop me or anything. It's just that I think I'm you're far away and I'm way too lazy. It's true. It's true. So that that you know what that's fun. I like that. I dig that. Your brother's cool. Yeah, yeah. He also yeah. Uh, he also makes uh, custom like it's just it's just like for friends and family and whatnot. But he makes custom magic decks like Magic the Gathering commander decks. But he does really? but he customizes them to your play style and interests. Not that makes sense. Like so it's not like it's not like the like, oh, it's custom and that it's just like a bunch of proxies or whatever. Like he sees, oh, this is how you play. This is how you enjoy playing. How can we how can we make that happen? Like he's made mm, a bunch yeah. of stuff for me like that, which has been pretty cool. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. That is pretty cool. So he's cool. Dude. Anything else? I, I'm gonna jump in there. Uh, no, my... I think just just I guess my brother's a cool dude. Yeah. So for me, uh, one, it was my birthday this past weekend, last weekend. Yes. Uh, so now I'm a year older, but that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there because I talked about it in the last episode. Yeah. I recorded. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it out to you, uh, to your place. Yeah. During that. Uh, oh no! Tentatively planning on going this coming weekend, <laughs> if it's not if it's not the weather's good. Yeah. But uh, also I've been playing a game. Came out in tw- the end of 2022, a little indie game uh, called Chained Echoes. Uh, right. Reminiscent. It's a kind of a retro RPG, uh, turn-based RPG, made by uh, let's see, what was the guy's name? Matthias Lind, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that actually reminds me. I have another. Matthias Linda. Made by one dude over the course of seven years. Fantastic game. Combat is great. You don't really have to grind, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of depth to the combat. Nice. Um, the story is actually surprisingly good. Uh, the story is surprisingly a story. It, no, it's it's good. The uh, <laughs> yeah, Surprisingly a story. And it's got some great moments in the gameplay itself or in the game itself, narratively and stuff mm. uh, like that one I sent you uh, a few weeks ago with the guy basically telling, telling the other character not to be a creeper. Uh, nice. Yeah. That's from Jane Deco's. So anyway, that's, that's it. We don't have a lot to talk about this. Yeah. this oh, week I do. I do actually have, I do actually have uh, one thing that I'm pretty excited for. Uh, and what and, is that? Well, sir? well, Unrelated, I've been playing the the original Fear games for from way back in the day. Um, yeah, it's it's one of my it's one of my partner's favorite games, and they're interesting. They're uh, really they're interesting. Really bare bones plot. Um, really like they actually the the AI for the AI on their uh, their enemies particularly for the era is kind of amazing um yeah but so so, i mean it's it's one of those where it's been it's been worth the play but it's also it's also that older style um first person shooter where they're just kind of aggressively hard in places yeah yeah i get that yeah i am not 
and I'm not a fan of first person shooters. Yeah. Just the gameplay style. And fortunately, and it's, it sucks because it's sort of locked off a huge chunk of really great games. To yeah. Me. Yeah. Well, and, um, and, and, and they're, they're very different now than they were, than they were back in the day. Yeah. 20 years I mean, ago, they were very different. Yeah. I mean, basically in 20 years ago, they were kind of all sort of what Counter-Strike is now. That yeah. sort of thing was the only thing there, and now there's a much there's a much larger nuance, much larger selection. Oh, but the yeah. one that I wanted to say that I'm actually really excited for because I just found out like sometime in the middle of March, um, the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel, Forbidden West, mm-hmm. um, is coming to Steam, which means that I get to play it without having to buy a PlayStation. This is true. Which is one that if Frank can find it cheap, that's one that I would like to actually do on the podcast at some point. Because I, I got really a secret like to, to tell you. I got a secret to tell you. You're talking about the yeah. first Horizon yeah, the first one, yeah. gone, right? I already own it. You son of a bitch. I bought it I bought it right after I got the PS4 for like 15 bucks, like the full, like with all you the expansions and everything. monster. <laughs> I haven't played it yet because it's been sitting on my fucking PS4. Yeah, I, yeah, I, think, I think you'd 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 like it. I mean, like... It might need because I know uh, uh, my partner's playing it, and and she was saying um, that uh, that it kind of got frustrating with with her because one of the things with this one is like like you know how in a lot of like games like in action games or in RPG games you're gonna end up with a lot of like item types and shit that you're never going to use or you're only or or like they make it better if you like they make it better if you use them but you never think to so so it doesn't really matter yeah the specialty arrows that you get and make in in Horizon Zero Dawn are a fucking necessity. Like understanding how to do those, who to use them against, and the the strengths and and the pros and cons of using each of them is mm-hmm. complete is an utter necessity in order to move forward with the game. Like which is which is a very different very different feel than uh, than some of the others uh, in that same that same way that same genre. Yeah, yeah. You know, I actually wouldn't mind uh, playing. I, I mean, obviously, I wanted to play it because I, I bought it. Yeah, it yeah. Um, this is one of those games I pick. I like. I, I definitely want to pick this up. We'll, I'd love we, to do we'll talk. Like, I would love to do that one. Maybe after we do, um, like control. That sounds Just, like something you'd want to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, those are all like on my list of uh, of this is awesome. Well, we. Like well, we'll we'll have another production meeting here soon, so yeah. we'll, we'll chat about what's coming yeah. up. So, um, anyway, all right. So uh, this week we are talking about the magnum opus of mm-hmm. Phil Tippett. Mad God. Mad God. Um, but One of we, my absolute favorite movies. Uh, you spoiled your final thoughts already. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, it's fair. You yeah, by the way, John, it, yeah. John, John picked this. John picked this one, if yeah, you could. I picked this yeah. one, and it's... Yeah. So, and yeah. I watched... There, th- uh, this, is, this is not something that you have, like, simple thoughts about. No. It's not like, so oh, this is my favorite, the, end of statement. 
before we get into Mad God itself, uh, we need to talk about Phil Tippett. And yeah. I've watched a ton of stuff on this dude in the last week. Uh, first off, I got to say, uh, I really like, uh, it's, it's probably never going to happen, but I'd actually really like to meet this dude. He seems awesome. Yeah. He seems genuinely cool. Um, he, as a kid, he was inspired. Uh, and the story is that he tells is he remembers watching uh, the original King Kong on television when he was like five or six years old mm. and just being enthralled by it. And he became obsessed with the idea of making monsters and, and doing uh, stop motion like Ray Harryhausen. He actually got and saved up when he was a teenager, uh, saved up for a, a Super 8 camera and started making his own movies, doing his own stop motion movies and live action movies and uh he eventually started phil tippett studios uh or tippett studios in his garage he actually got uh, his start uh working on star wars as a, as a prop and special effects guy um he helped design a bunch of the uh, masks for the oh. cantina scene um he is the one who is responsible for doing the stop motion uh for the the space chess scene on the millennium Falcon. That makes um, sense. He, he, yeah, he did. He, he, he worked a lot. He, he worked on all the star Wars films, uh, the original trilogy. They brought him in and he, he did, uh, a robo, the RoboCop movies. He, he's responsible for a lot of the stop motion stuff on those. He finally was brought in. And if you, and I don't know if you've seen his test footage for, for this, but He's brought in to do the dinosaurs on Jurassic Park. Originally, they were going to go with stop motion. His mm. test footage for that is fucking cool. Like, it's amazingly awesome. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, Industrial Light and Magic sat Steven Spielberg down and showed him some examples of the Tyrannosaurus Rex as CGI. And the story is... This is actually told by a couple of people. The story is that... Tippett, Phil, Phil was there in the room. They looked at this, and apparently Spielberg looked at him and says, it looks like you're out of a job. And Tippett's response was, don't you mean extinct? Mm. That actually, That's actually a line in the movie. I don't know how true it is, but it, it's uh, it, yeah. the line is in the movie. It, Malcolm says it to Sam Neill's character, Dr. Uh, What's-His-Face, in the, in the film. So after basically getting this news that Spielberg has decided to go with the uh, CGI for the dinosaurs, Tibbet fell into a pretty deep depression for a little while. Yeah, I mean, knowing your life's work has been replaced by a pew, pew, pew computer. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, now, that being said, that Spielberg did go to him, and you know, after a, w- a few weeks, he said, look, Phil, these guys don't know how to actually model any of this stuff. They don't know how anything moves. You do. You've been studying dinosaurs. You've been studying how animals move. You've been doing this for for twenty almost over twenty years now. They we still need you on this project. We still need you to teach everyone how to do this because nobody knows how to do it. And so, uh, for a long time, the early uh, early CGI work still used stop motion as. Uh, primary method for motion capture. They'd make the armatures with motion capture points on it and they'd, they'd still do the movement and stuff. And so Tippett was brought on and, and did that. And his studio uh, ended up switching. In 1994, he ended up switching to uh, 
to a CGI studio. Mm-hmm. So he went from stop motion to CGI and then continued working in the business that, that way. And he also won the Academy Award, an Academy Award for his work in Jurassic Park. We will we'll talk about a little bit about Mad the production of Mad God, uh, kind of after we go over the plot and stuff. But he did start working on that before he ever did Jurassic Park. So yeah. there's that. So Mad God itself is a is a about an hour 20, 25 minute film. It's mm-hmm. primarily stop motion, though there are some live action scenes, and there are scenes that I would describe as a uh, live stop motion. Yeah, uh, the way it's almost like films. a hybrid, a hybrid. Yeah. yeah. Um, the plot. So I'm going to go through basically the entire film. I would say spoilers, but you can't really spoil this movie. You you can't spoil you, this movie in the same way that you can't spoil a painting. Yeah, you, you kind of have to. You kind of have to watch it. Like I, I'm going to describe a chunk of the, uh, yeah, basically a lot of the narr- quote unquote narrative of the film to you, the listener. But it's not you're not going to experience it. This is not this is not like when I describe say the plot to One Piece or uh, the plot to uh, a, a movie like uh, the Avengers. Yeah. yeah we're spoiling it, it, it. It's spoiled. This, this is not, you have to watch this in order to yeah. fully appreciate it and get anything out of it. That being said, there's no dialogue in this movie. Well, I should take that. There's one exception. There's a little bit of Italian spoken at one point. A little Italian spoken. A, there's the baby, there's the, the, the baby talk from the big machine. I wouldn't, Wait, which I is, wouldn't which say is, that. What? I wouldn't say that was dialogue though. I, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm because I watched through it, I'm I'm, I'm being like the, with the loosest possible definition. There is only okay. the, like there is technically there's the baby there's the baby talk from the from the 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 horrid machine. There's the the uh, the Italian or with as they they say in the the thing just foreign language, which I don't know I don't know enough of any of the languages to be gibberish, but there is one singular line of actual English dialogue in the entire film. Yeah. And it's, Oh no. I don't even remember that. It's Oh no. From the little mushroom dude in the oh, alchemist. Okay. Um, utopia yeah, that- pit. Sadism hole. There is also in the very, 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 very beginning, a quote from, Either Leviticus or a or a pseudo Leviticus or a pseudo Leviticus quote. So basically, the only one listed as the quote in a. Uh, it's yeah, it's the only thing listed on in, in, IMDb in, in yeah. the movie database. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the movie starts off with uh, it shows it shows the uh, fall of the Tower of Babel and this this quote from what is uh, attributed to Leviticus scrolls across the screen. And we're seeing. Then we we cut to this theme with this this nameless soldiers descending in this uh, sort of this iron lung uh, yeah. thing uh, through different layers of stuff. He's being shot at at first, and there's diff- different layers into the depths of the supposed apocalyptic hellscape. Um, and he's only armed with a crumbling map and a suitcase. Uh, he's wearing a, a 
breathing mask. He's got goggles on and a hat. You can see his face. Um, he travels through the city and down into a, a layer of an industrial sort of cityscape that's populated with people made of shit and detritus and some demonic beasts. Yeah. Um, you see that their lives are cheap. They're easily discarded and indiscriminately executed. Um, they're, they're, they have nothing uh, regarding autonomy. Um, when he f- travels, con- continues to travel through and down into the depths, and when he finally arrives at his destination, uh, it's a junkyard that's filled with similar suitcases to the one he's got. He opens up the suitcase to reveal it's a bomb. He sets the bomb, and then he's immediately attacked by some giant monstrosity and pulled away, and his bomb fails to go off. And as do as have all of the others by whoever left those those there, because you yeah. can hear them all. You can hear them all clicking. But like the last thing you see that bomb do is um, malfunction the way it, it it counts down, and then you hear yeah. that same noise from all of the all of the bombs that are lying around there. Yeah. Now, next we're showing him laying on an operating table. There's a small group of people gathered, and this is all in silhouette. Yeah. And watch as he's stripped down while laying on this table. Um, they applaud as he's stripped down. And then we're cut to showing the, kind of the back half of this massive hospital operating uh, facility with various uh, beans laying on tables and, and uh, different... Uh, States of vivisection. We zoom in on him. He's he's apparently wrapped in bandages. He's strapped down to the table. Only one eye is exposed, and, uh, and it is a it is a gnarly eye. Like yeah, very very dry, and it looks like it hurts. Yeah, someone who's has dealt with a lot of eye bullshit the last yeah. few months. That looks like it hurts. Yeah. Um. Yeah. A doctor and nurse come into the room. Uh, the doctor proceeds to cut him open. And then pulls out his guts, and then after that starts pulling out things like jewelry and trinkets, bundles of papers and books. Uh, finally, the doctor pulls out a slug-like creature that cries like a baby, and puts it on a tray that the nurse holds. And then the nurse exits the it, room. And it has these like big spikes on the back, like yeah. on its back that are like made out of bone. Like it is, it is gnarly. Yeah, it is a uh, sort of disturbing. Well, it, it is incredibly disturbing. Uh, the doctor then proceeds to drill a large hole into the assassin's head and places basically kind of a camera device inside of it that projects an image onto the TV screen. The image that we see is this very elderly man with very long fingernails kind of prepping for his day. He gets dressed. Uh, he chooses. Uh, he goes and then he goes down to a room where there is these hag-like creatures uh, sitting under a table that share an eye, uh, which is a, obviously a direct call out to like the Fates or the Norns, yeah, uh, from mythology, yeah. <clears throat> and they have prepared him a map and sewn together this map that appears to be made of uh, be, be made on human skin. They give the map to him, and he goes to a large uh, yard, courtyard filled with other individuals dressed like the original assassin. Uh, he gives the map to a new assassin. And puts him in the the device, the chamber, and lures him down the, this hole through some liquid and into a different region 
of the hellscape. And this one is more, this one's a more intact city with large husks of people or large husks of buildings with people sort of surviving in, in, in trying to make it in, in, in the city, these giant, uh, what look like basically viruses descend occasionally and zap people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he travels through the city. First, he finds a motorcycle and he drives the motorcycle until it stops working correctly. Then he finds an old Jeep and then travels through this giant war-torn battlefield on in this Jeep until he comes to a giant deep well. Uh, and then he descends down the well in the Jeep. Um, at that point, the doctor ends the transmission and pulls the device out of the assassin's head. Then we flash back to the nurse who's still walking down the hall, this very, very long, decrepit uh, ruined hallway um, before finally coming to a large stone door. Uh, she opens the door and this ethereal being dressed like a plague doctor arrives and takes the slug baby. The nurse then retires to a small space that apparently is her, her space lays down and a single tear runs down her face. The plague doctor being, we see travel through various regions uh, past our King guardians Strange stone labyrinths that open and close mm. the paths in front and behind him. Um, then we flash to a, a gnome-like creature, a disfigured gnome-like creature who is attending to various creatures in a large atrium. Uh, he disciplines ogre-like beings with electricity and it tidies up the laboratory that he's in. The plague doctor arrives and they, he and the gnome take the slug baby and... Per, proceed to crush it into goo, and then process it into a sparkling gold dust. Then they open a door, tossing the gold dust through, and create a new world that descends into the same chaos as the current world. And that is the end of the film. Yeah. And that, I know I know what you're thinking, folks. Wow. What's the story? Yeah, and that's kind of what the reason you need to watch the movie because you kind of have to you kind of have to get out of it. You, you, you sort of have to be immersed. It's it's one where yeah. you can't just like you can't just hear about it and see like it's it's yeah. I I remember shortly after it came out and after I'd watched it, I went and I watched a whole bunch of like horror movie review channels, and they all had done they all did a a, a review of it. And one of the first things they said was just like. What the fuck do we what the fuck do we talk about? Um yeah. Well, I want to I want to actually talk about some of the inspirations and stuff and then talk about the production process a little bit because this is yeah. some of the research I did on Phil Tippett regarding the movie. And then and you obviously John will interject with with thoughts that he has as we talk about some of this. Mm. So one of the things uh Phil Tippett actually started making the film in the late 80s. Uh, he started putting it together, and it was sort of a therapy project for him. It was just something he was like, "Yeah, I'm just going to do this. This kind of to burn off." He 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 suffers. Phil suffers from anxiety and depression, and this is kind of a a mo- mode of of catharsis and therapy for him to get. Yeah. Uh, through that, when he was little, he uh, this is a quote. This is not a quote from him. But this is something he says in one of the interviews that he dreamed of a a dark being when he was very young. And he imagined that in order to defeat that being, in order to defeat that demon, he had to be worse than that demon. And that sort of kind of comes out in this film. Um, 
you can see a lot of a lot of his influences from art in this. Obviously, Milton and Dante, Harmonious Bosch. If you yeah. haven't if you haven't seen Bosch's work, his I love his paintings, but they're very disturbing. Yeah. Um also studied a lot of art history as well. Uh, in addition to studying how animals and stuff move in, in dinosaurs, he, he's also very interested in, in art history. He's also influenced by uh, Hindu mythology and uh, puppet theater. There's a traditional Hindu puppet theater. Um, I don't remember what it's called, but it, that's some of the inspiration. You can see some of that in in the movie. Like there's wow. moments where there's like this silhouette it's kind of a silhouette theater. And another thing is he's uh, Carl Jung. Apparently, Phil mm. Tippett uh, got a copy of Carl Jung's Red Book, uh, which is basically Carl Jung's vomit of his shadow self and dark thoughts like on onto the page. There's also a lot of uh, absurdism in Samuel Beckett <clears throat> in this movie, which I can kind of see. I mean... I would call this more nihilistic horror than than absurdist horror, but uh, I don't know if John would agree with that or not. But um, I think you, I think you could call it, you could call it that. Yeah, I, I think, I think it, it's it, on on that level. You're going to get a lot of what you bring in. Yeah. to the to the piece like like a lot more so than a lot more so than any other film or something yeah. that we've watched like someone who already has a nihilistic um mindset is going to the the nihilism aspects of these are really going to stick out somebody who's a bit yeah. more absurdist and and, and it, but is willing to sort of acknowledge the 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 darkness there and and some of the just and the things that are just just disturbing. Like there are there are a lot of things in here that I would say are not light or dark. They are just deeply disturbing. Like they're just it's yeah it's it's trying to wrap your head around them is is almost impossible just because yeah. they're so disturbing. Like it's it's yeah. it, you you are like you are you're shaken by them in in ways you you may not necessarily understand yeah um one other thing and it, and this is uh this is something that he says in one of the interviews and by the way i'm going to have links in the notes to all these interviews on youtube um one of the things that also kind of came out is he he tended towards some myth misan- misanthropy and one of the reasons that triggered that is uh he himself filled uh fills and felt a great shame for the privilege that he had being here in the U.S. and being in the West, uh, and that that because that privilege came uh, based on on and built on the backs of other people, um, and you can kind of you can see that in in instances of the film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the actual production process, uh, and this is the thing that I found most fascinating. So he started working on it in the late eighties, um, and just kind of. A pet project is a form of therapy. Uh, in 1994, after the studio reshifted his it, Tippett Studios shifted its focus to CGI because that's kind of where the, the wind was blowing. Yeah, 
he basically shelved the project, kind of put it on the back burner. He'd filmed maybe about five minutes of it. Uh, he did it, he did it on 35 millimeter film. And then in 2009, but he'd still had a bunch of stuff out in, in, in storage and stuff. But in 2009, he went to uh, archive the, the film and basically finished storing away all of the, the props and stuff he had made for it. And some colleagues and some students stopped him and said, hey, what is this? You know, and they, they watched the thing and they're like, why don't we finish this? This is awesome. Um, they ended up crowdfunding a big chunk of the movie. Uh, Phil brought in uh, people who wanted to work on it, uh, people that worked at his studio, people that uh, he taught in film classes. Anyone who was interested, t- uh, Phil would bring it in. And if they didn't know what they were doing, he'd give them tasks that they could do to to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Um, for him, the, the whole the whole thing is more of a process. In fact, he's even there's even a quote, and this is this is an interview from probably about four years before they actually released the full version of it. But there's there's a quote of him saying, he's like, I don't know if I'll ever actually be done with this. This is something I might go back to and just keep adding more and more to. But he also let a lot of people just do stuff. So there's there's moments in that that uh, are other people's interpretation and thoughts. He'd give him guidance where he needed it, but he'd just say like, hey, there's this scene, go animate it, and yeah. they'd animate it. I mean, that, that actually potentially describes a lot of the things that don't quite gel with each other but gel with the film like yeah like i mean because the 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 the, if you were to like i said if you think of it as a movie it's really kind of it comes across as very jumbled very jumbled yeah but when you watch it as a whole it's a lot less that yeah like there's a lot more kind of like the, the 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 themes hit are kind of a bit more not to go into them not to go into those yet but um, but the themes are a bit more dark and primal. Um, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they are nightmare thoughts. They are, uh, you know, I have my, uh, you know, my, my sleep paralysis demon on my chest for all, for most of the night, um, type yeah. thinking, not, you know, a cognizant, uh, look through yeah exactly the the last thing i want to say about the production is so they funded a big chunk of it on on kickstarter he released about 30 minutes of the film a little over 30 minutes of the film as three separate shorts uh initially Mm. so the first one was in 2014 and it's about 11 minutes the next one was in 2015 and it's i think 13 or 14 minutes and then the last one is uh was in 2018 18 and it's around the same length. Uh, then in 2021, they, 13 years long in 2021, they released the the final version that you can watch and you can watch it at several places. It's on shutter, but it's also on YouTube now, like mm. not uploaded to YouTube, but you can watch it on YouTube. You can mm. buy and rent it on YouTube. Um, I don't know if you can see it on Amazon, but, uh, so it's it's out there. It's it's not difficult to find. There's several places you can find it. Um, uh, it looks like AMC Plus, YouTube, and Sling. Sling. There. And then Shutter, obviously. Yeah, and Shutter, yeah. Because it was originally a Shutter, originally released yeah. on Shutter after it premiered. Or Amazon Prime, um, you can buy it. It yeah, released in 2021. Uh, it released to Shutter in 2022. 
and originally it premiered August 5th uh, in 2021 at the Larcarno Festival. But uh, let's, I, I'm just saying, we're, let's, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the, let's just start talking about other stuff. <laughs> this, this film, it, it, it is one that it, it is somewhat difficult to, to, to talk about. Like I said before, I watched yeah. like a whole bunch of these horror things and they were just like, well, what the hell do we say? And it's, it's because this, it has more of the, has a lot more of the, the dramatic and, and, um, an energy of a painting of like, like it's like, uh, from, for, for, from those, from, you know, like the, the, if there are anybody who listened to any of our old stuff when we did our one episode of, you know, Frank loves what you hate with on Valerian. Yeah. Or when we talked about, talked about that, like Valerian like ended up being a bunch of was like traveling through a bunch of paintings that, that had, um, different, different uh, effects and were gave you these, these different uh, feelings of the world. The difference with Mad God between Mad God and Valerian is, is that like Valerian that just kind of happened to be that way. They were trying, they were clearly trying to make a movie. Yeah. Mad God isn't, or at least if they, if they are, they're trying to do it very differently. They have a very different idea of what it means to be, to be what they're creating right now. I mean, they have this, they have a, they have the original score, which, um, I mean, I'm not a big music guy. Uh, mostly I don't, I just don't have the the head for it, but it has, a gorgeous, uh, a gorgeous melancholic soundtrack that kind of yeah. like, it, and it's one of those that just sort of seeps in, like seeps into everything and suffuses everything. It's there's no like big moments where you're like, oh, and the music is swelling and playing and, and there. It's just it's it's always there and it's just kind of like easing its way into the back of your back of your head. Um, a thing there and it, it it's it, it is really just just yeah, uh it, spot on i um, i honestly on, honestly with the score i uh that's probably my favorite thing about the film actually it's 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 mm-hmm. incredibly gorgeous it's incredibly beautiful score yeah um on the same token the sound design for it is amply uh, oh yeah perfect. i mean the the like the the way they handle the 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 sounds like you know like the the electrics and the the environmental noises and and all those there it it, it gives it this this grounded but unearthly quality yeah that that is that that i have that i haven't really seen in any other piece of art yeah so uh looking at some of the notes you have yeah yeah uh the map yeah it, it was interesting because uh, particularly since they sort of divide the the assassin's journey into two chunks and you see the one the you see the 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 parts before and then you see the parts after but the like you start with the parts after and then you see the ones before like you see him being uh, commissioned and put into the last man and, and and all of that in the in the side of the film that is the 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 the, the older so, one. 
there and then uh-huh. but at the very beginning everything you see is what's happening sort of then and there is and it, it it's one of those where like for me because in the first in the first half of the movie because he has this map that we established he has this map it's got it's made out of some kind of skin probably human skin or the skin so, of those witches or whatever the hell they are which for me yeah i'm gonna say for me i i interpreted both of them as being different assassins that is one of, that is one of the possible that's one of the possibilities that that, that I've looked mm-hmm. there is that there is that that thing of oh it's 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 a different assassin but it might also not be and i yeah. and and when when i when i watch it i honestly try and do my best to keep both of those ideas in my head at the same time like i like yeah i find it better like th- this part of the film that aspect of the film the assassin specifically is better if you don't pick if you don't decide what is true no i i, I kind of agree with that because i i've i've waffled on both of those aspects myself yeah. um it's one of those it's one of those and it's not like Per watch through, it's it's during each watch through. It's like, well, is this the same assassin? Yeah, is this a different assassin? And you know, and if uh, it's and if and 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 regardless whether it's the same assassin or the other one, there is something profound about this map mm-hmm. that is falling apart. And in the first half, like every time he pulls out the map to look at it, more of it falls off, and it becomes yeah. less useful until yeah. like and at it, the it very. Says- I was going to say, and essentially to me that it, it t- sort of indicates that there's no going back. Like he has no, yeah. he has no methods to find his way back. He has to keep going forward because that's all that's left on the map itself is, yeah. is the way forward. Yeah. Um, and then, and, but, but then like, then there's the question of like the, like this, with this, with this d- d- breaking apart map, like why doesn't the other map break apart? And is it because we, it wasn't given enough time is it is it that different map? Is it the same? Like is it the same? I mean, there there's all of these que- there's all of these questions, and there's a lot of questions that you could find in this film that in other movies would have answers, mm-hmm. and it would be great that they had answers. This this film, I think it would be weakened profoundly if these if a lot of these questions were answered. Like yeah. What the hell is the deal with the alchemist? The 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 guy there is the the sadist who's helping out the crow guy who's helping out the crow guy, and they both become God. Like yeah. maybe like maybe maybe that's God. Maybe like because I I took it as maybe it's this vision of what's going on or what could have happened, what's going to happen. Like there's there's so many different things that are uncertain that could go either direction that are that are. This this is an entire movie, and 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 this is this is this kind of hits me in, and I think one of the reasons why this movie hit me so hard is it hits me in some of my, in on my in my personal phil, uh, philosophical reality, mm-hmm. in that this movie is a lie and a truth at the same time. Yeah, like it is a pile of lies and truths, and they all just kind of wriggle together, and. It doesn't matter, like, and 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 it's 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 like they're saying, like, look, the, the that doesn't like whether or not it's true. Like, your obsession with truth is is irrelevant here. It is pointless here. Yeah. Well, we we don't need that. We don't need to um, waste our times with this. Yeah. 
Um, so you're gonna say um, moving, moving on to one of your other notes, <laughs> talking about the sex, the sexuality. Yeah, of yeah the this, this is a this, very. I would say this. It is not a sexy. It is not sexy in any no, way. No, no, no. It is not sexy. Sexy. It is not uh, titillating. It is not like it's. It's. However, all of that being said, however, it is somewhat intensely sexual in yeah. ways in ways that will in the ways that like some some are just like the like oh okay like in some that are like primally brutal and not like yes. in a not not in a in a in a bad way or anything but in a uh, in a way that's very visceral and very and real. Vi- well, and in, and in, in, in violent. There's there's yeah, moments oh yeah, of it's, yeah, it's very very you know very the 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 combinations there. I'd say that like uh, like for the most part, violence and sex go very tightly together in this film, with yes. one exception, and and to me that is the one that actually is the most disturbing of all of yeah. the, of all of them. Yeah. So yeah, no, no, like, like the, the like the, there because uh, the the two I'd say the two biggest ones that are like very sexual are um, there's these two there's the there's the fight with the two monster guys that that the alchemist like just electrocutes the fuck out of yeah at one point and it's difficult not to see but the the one guy as he's being electrocuted over and over again like keeps getting a full on erection yeah. like just just like uncomfortable like uncomfortably so like you yeah. are into this in ways i am not okay with there buddy um but the one that the one that that, that gets me the one that like legitimately haunts me because it's this small almost it's this small inti- like intimate but not but once again but not like pleasant moment where the the assassins going through some of these these rooms some of these things there and there's a doll there's this like doll that's just covered in the same shit that everything is mm-hmm. and it goes and they do this like zoom in and and they and they they show you really explicitly that if it weren't for all of this other all this other stuff this would be a beautiful creature. Like this, this creature would be beautiful. This would, it would have, you know, something, something profound there. And it's, it's masturbating while, while it's having this thing and just covered in shit and, and, and everything there. And, and every time I've watched it and I've watched through this movie like several times, like it, it always just like shakes me in yeah in some levels there and i think it's because like there it's it has that this kind of it's this moment of soft uh, this moment of softness of of dark of like of dark gross softness yeah in the middle of a a a, a construct a constructed reality that is every other time brutal and without mercy yeah it is a very hard existence and yeah so, it's yeah. uh 
And, and, and it's just like a few seconds. It's just a few seconds uh, like here. Like I, I would be like there, there are times well, when that, I think sometimes people might have even have missed it. But it's just it, yeah, it, it's to me, entirely it possible. If you look, so if you look away, well, if you look away, it, there's a lot of moments in this movie that if you look away, you're gonna miss them. Yeah, uh, I've watched it twice, and there was a couple of things that I caught the the fir- second time that I didn't notice mm. this, the first time. Um, but that's the thing with all of the, well, with everything about the film, the, the violence, the sexuality of it, they're they're never very long it mm. never lingers on stuff yeah with maybe the exception of the vivisection in the in the operating rooms yeah yeah well, uh, well, but, but but then that they even then they like divide that into like almost acts They're like there's like an act there's like an act structure yeah to that that kind of changes the nature of the beast but but with with that ex- with exception of maybe that and and uh there's nothing's ever focused on for very long. You know, you're, yeah. you're talking five, 10 seconds max on a lot of this stuff, um, which uh, in some ways sort of reinforces the dreamlike structure of the film. Yeah. Um, because you, your focus is always shifting uh, and the focus is always shifting in, in your mind only has a short amount of time to kind of comprehend what it just witnessed before it's moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and the, the thing about that is like, even though this, this scene might be 15 seconds long, you know, it took them hours and hours and hours to film it. Do you want, do you have anything else to add? Um, not tell, not tell, not tell final thoughts. I don't think. Okay. So we can talk about the symbolism, uh, through this. Um, we kind of touch on it when we talk about Phil's inspiration and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff, you know. You can see see I mean, the descent like, uh, of the of the assassin in the, at the beginning yeah. as his descent. I, I would, and someone someone pointed out, yeah, that if that first descent, there's actually nine layers oh, that he goes through. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you sorry, know, I, I interrupt. Think, well, I, okay. I think one thing to consider with the symbolism in this in this movie is that a lot of times when we talk about symbolism, a lot of times when we do these analyses of films, mm-hmm. we come at it from the logical, like a logical place, a cerebral place. Like it, it's about, you know, like yeah. about our thoughts on it, our thinking, our thinkings, our thinkings about it. And I don't think in any real way that this is a thinking movie. I this is I mean like you, I don't, you, you I don't could conf- I mean you 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 could but I don't think I don't think like a deep I don't think a cerebral analysis or even like really thinking hard about it well, here, instead here's, of here's, just here, experiencing here, it is going to add enough to the to the experience to be overly to, to be worth the amount of like di- like literally diving into this shit with your brain. Well, okay, and and this kind of leads me into my final thoughts, and I'll okay. go ahead. And my counterpoint kind of leads me yeah. into this. I I I agree with you to a point on this. It's not like, uh, it's not like a lot of movies or a lot of uh, literature. You, you you know you can't film analysis and stuff. And and I'm not. I I've only I've no formal training in film analysis. I've only you know I'm ar- armchair, yeah, uh, whatever. But 
I think to, to approach it like most people do film analysis, they're extracting the symbolism from the movies. And, and the same happens with books that they are extrapolating based off other works and other things. Yeah. And the difference with this movie is you can do that. But the difference is, is we have Phil Tippett himself telling you what this movie is. And, and based on his background, first off, everything that's inspired him, he, he, he comes out and says, it. you know, harmonious Bosch, Dante, yeah. Uh, Indian uh, theater, shadow puppetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a Czech uh, stop motion animator. So he he comes right out and says like uh, his knowledge of art history, uh, his knowledge of how animals move. So we we have everything like this. Him saying it, mm-hmm. he's like this is what's inspired me. But more to the point, he he comes right out and says this is a form of therapy to help me get through my depression and anxiety. Yeah, yeah. and. And so you can look at the the movie and say, oh, this is obviously something that was inspired from Hindu mythology. This is obviously something that was inspired mm. by Harmonious Bosch. This is something that was inspired by Dante. Yeah. And you can you can identify those things because Phil Tippett told you this yeah. is Yeah. The, 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 and it's, the, the, there, yeah. And, and and unlike a lot of movies, because sometimes filmmakers are inspired by stuff, and it's apparent in their the movie yeah. that they were inspired by that theme. But a lot of times, the filmmakers not consciously aware of what he, of, of what he's putting in, or what the people watching the movie get out of it. it's not what the filmmaker intended. Um, I don't think Phil Pippet has the ego to say this is what you need to get out of this movie. For him, the process was what was the important theme. The yeah. end product wasn't. And he actually says that. So with that, I, so I agree with you. I think you can get something out. I think you can interpret this and you still need to watch it. But you don't have to go anywhere but to the man himself that created it to find out what yeah. the movie, yeah. what inspired the movie and what symbolism is there. Because the end result wasn't the point. Yeah, it it. I mean, to, to go back to what I to go back to what I what I said there is that it's not a cerebral piece. Yeah, it's not something that it's not something that you contemplate to a certain extent. It's something that you dive into in the moment. Yeah, like you're defi- like it's defined by like being there in in the in in the, in the stink in the in the shit in the in that 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 reality there like i don't i don't need to think yeah. like i don't need to think what do i remember about dante's inferno in order to in order to, pre- to have this you know in order to yeah. get the deeper in order to get the deeper meaning like because this is a therapeutic work the deeper meaning is what you take out of it regardless yeah. of regardless of anything else else yeah so. and and that's and that's one of the things and and, and you can still have if 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 that's your jam, if you like like analyzing and finding the, I mm-hmm. guess, the, yeah, the, the best word I can think of is Easter eggs from the for the through movies and stuff. Yeah. You can have a heyday with this film. Um, and so I, I'm going to go ahead and actually finish up my my final thoughts mm-hmm. on this, and then you go ahead. Um, so for me, the movie's complicated. Like, do I love the movie? 
I can't say that I do. I can't say that I, 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 I wouldn't say I dislike the movie. I don't hate the film, but my initial reaction to watching it was one of incredible discomfort for an hour and 25 minutes. Uh, it was very on edge mm-hmm. and that I think is the intention. I had no idea what, what I was going to watch, going to be watching going into this. Um, and, uh, I almost <laughs> for a palate cleanser, I almost rewatched a different horror movie <laughs> when evil lurks and when evil lurks has some incredibly brutal scenes in it and some very uncomfortable, uh, appalling moments, but it was less uncomfortable for me to watch than mad God was the first time. Now on the second viewing, it w- didn't hit me the same way, but the difference is, is I went through and I researched it. I went yeah. through and researched the process and I I went through and researched Phil Tippett to find out more about this dude and and and, and what he what he what he was about. And uh and after that, after doing that, I had a much deeper appreciation for the movie itself. I can't recommend this film to people. Yeah. Because I it, it, this movie's not gonna be for everyone. In fact, I don't think it's movies for most people. Um I but that said. I know exactly why John likes it. Yeah. I knew exactly why John liked it after I watched it the first time. But that's because John and I have been friends for over 20 years. We know each other fairly yeah. well. And and uh I knew like I upon finishing the movie I was like I understand why John I know why John enjoyed this film. So the question is will I watch it again? I probably would. I probably I don't have a problem. I don't Having seen the movie twice now and and understanding it a little bit more and what what, what mm-hmm. behind it, I have a deeper appreciation for it. But it's not one of those movies that I'm scrambling to see that gives me uh, nostalgic feelings or or is awe inspiring in a way. Yeah. But I I do understand why the movie was made and that appreciation alone for that and for Phil Tippett's work. Because even though it's not a comfortable movie to watch, it is a it is a brilliantly filmed mm-hmm. movie. It is it is it is uh, it is art on on celluloid, if you will, or in this case, yeah. digital uh, thing. But at the same time, I can't say you should go out and watch this movie. That's if it interests you, if you have a love of stop motion. If you have a love of special oh. effects, if you if you feel like you need the, the therapy, like this movie might be for you, but for most people, I don't think it, it is. So yeah. Anyway, John, I, go I, I, will, I will just just one one slight follow up to, to Frank's uh, Frank's thoughts there before I give mine. Um, yeah, like if if you like stop motion animation or or puppetry, like this is definitely worth wading through because it is the most, the highest tier of stop motion. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can, you can find because it, it just, it, it grabs it like it grabs you and it, it has that, that emotional weight, even if it is that uncomfortable, like the emotions that it brings with it are very uncomfortable. Yeah. But um yeah absolutely anyway john as 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 for my as for my thoughts i mean like on honestly a lot of them frank kind of uh 
uh, got a little bit there. Like I, I, th- I think that I think that uh, I, I think I would probably gauge that I think there are more people that should watch it. Maybe not necessarily would enjoy it. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people that would not enjoy it, um, and then it would take some take some doing. But I mean, for for me, for me, it just did it 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 affected me profoundly. But one of the biggest things is is that it is a hideously ugly film like it is it is just ugly but it is so ugly how ugly is it it is so ugly that it that it like wraps around and becomes something truly beautiful and truly unique now Mm -hmm. yeah is it for everyone no, it's not. Like even I'm even I'm even I admit that, and I am foisting this movie on basically anyone who will anyone who will be willing to watch it, so that mm. I have someone to talk to about with it. Um, but it it is a it's a powerful it's a powerful piece of art, and yeah. it and for and for good or and for good or worse that's that's what it is. It's it is so ugly. It's beautiful. And it is the kind of art that settles in the back of your that settles in the back of your brain and the top of your heart and just kind of lives there after you've yeah. seen it. Yeah. It, it'll it'll the one thing guaranteed about this movie is it'll have an effect on you, whether you yeah. hate it or like it. I love it. You will it'll, have strong feelings. You will have strong feelings about it. So. Yeah. Um all right. With that, uh, next time, uh, I'm not entirely sure. It depends on whether I get out there Yeah. this weekend, yeah. whether or not we'll be doing the one. If I don't get out there, then we'll have to choose something else. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. We we roll with it. Uh, so next time, it'll be a surprise because we don't know 100%. Yeah. Um, but I think that does it for this show. All right. For this episode. Yeah. So with that, John... Not my hunky boys! My hunky boys. Alright, folks. Relevant to Our Interests is hosted by John Pelliston and Frank Shaw. Produced and edited by Frank Shaw. The music arranged by Frank Shaw. Scripting by John Pelliston and Frank Shaw. Graphic design by Frank Shaw and Nathan Newell. You can contact us at relevanttoourinterests at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and what used to be Twitter. John and Frank are on many other social media platforms. Hit us up. You can listen to us everywhere you listen to podcasts.